Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> it's oh, episode 5150. <laughs> I didn't even really... Dang, it's just no. on the mind. I didn't uh, even really do that intentionally. Episode 134. Uh, this week, we're getting sick in the head. Or we're going down with the sickness. Up to you, you know. <laughs> in, the eye of the bo- in the eye of the listener. The ears of the listener. <laughs> A lot of sick song titles we could put as the title for this. Yeah. About going crazy. Um, but our double feature this week is Todd Haynes' 1995 film Safe and Shock Corridor, the 1963 film by Samuel Fuller. Malcolm, you picked out this sick and twisted double feature, and you even mentioned that JT is looking like the Joker today. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's on your what's what's on your mind lately? What, why the messed up brain? Well, you know, it's funny. It's because I'm kind of at like peak mental fitness now i'm probably the least crazy i've ever been yeah you know what i mean your I'm, brain is just eating salads and kale and just, exactly <laughs> eating um you know i'm only listening to like 432 hertz music and stuff like that i'm not you know i'm decalcifying all that shit you know i'm not doing your crosswords yeah <laughs> crosswords and like the word searches um so the jumble many. <laughs> yeah the junior jumble <laughs> exactly um doing like i spy books where waldo where's waldo and stuff like that so, you know, I just, I honestly, I was like, what are two movies that I know are really great and have a similar theme? Kind of went back to basics with this one. Yeah. And I mean, it's the last double feature you'll ever pick for the podcast. Why not go back to basics? True. Yeah. And it's like, these are two movies I've like, I've seen multiple times. I'm, you know, huge fans of, and you know, they're still great on rewatch. I still love them. So I'm, I figured you guys would like them too. Yeah, no, these are two movies that I had kind of held as blind spots for a while. Todd Haynes is someone I really like, but haven't really dove too deep. I've only seen a handful of his movies, um, you know, Velvet Goldmine and Carol uh, and like Poison and uh, the the Barbie doll one. And That's a uh, good amount. Yeah, that's a fair amount, but I feel like I haven't seen like the heaviest of sure. the heavy hitters. Like I hadn't seen this and I haven't seen Far From Heaven uh, which I guess those two were the ones that had appealed to me the most. Um, but then Sam Fuller, one of the all-timers, this is maybe the most major film of his I hadn't seen yet. So I, I was really uh, really looking forward to this double feature. And I tell you what, it made me crazy. <laughs> Drive me crazy, like yeah. that song. Have we done a Fuller before on the show? I don't think so. I feel we've done White Dog. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. White Dog. Yeah, but I think that's it. Yeah, was, I that feel was like, a while ago. Yeah, I feel like ago. the middle segment we've talked about True. quite a few Fuller movies because we're just always watching that shit. Yeah. JT, had you seen these ones before? You'd seen Shot Corridor, right? Yeah, no. Safe. This was a first time viewing, and it was one that I always uh, knew I'd probably enjoy getting around to. But the Fuller, uh, it had been fucking years, and I forgot like pretty much all about it other than like his girlfriend was a stripper and he was yeah. in an insane asylum seems like you've been focusing on those parts of movies a lot recently uh, perhaps <laughs> perhaps yeah hey no no <laughs> some that that type of thing will make you crazy too true another good song title for the episode title i'm in love with the stripper true <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a lot we could go here you know it's true uh but we're gonna start with safe and like last week when we went to 1973 or so in the san fernando valley this time we're going to 1987 in the san fernando Valley. yeah had to serve eddie some some medicine about the valley you know it can't all be uh guns and roses you know (laughs) what the fuck no i know that's yeah (laughs) analogy there um but we open on julianne moore and her husband driving up the driveway, driving up, you know, through the affluent suburbs uh, south of the boulevard, as they say, up in the hills. My prime Postmates area uh, when I was driving Postmates, you know, those people would order a shit ton because they got that dough and they got that rich people, upper middle class ennui. And that's what this film's all about, baby. Um, the first thing that, you know, is said in this movie, uh, the first real audio we get is Julianne Moore getting out of the car and sneezing and saying it's freezing in here and right away it's just like something's up with this broad you know (laughs) Uh, right right away it's just like you can infer what it will be whether it's pollution and chemicals or society itself uh but julianne moore you know her her starting point isn't exactly very high she is anxious and unwell from minute one of this movie and it's only going to go down from here this was like great to see because I feel like it's like a character like that work. I see like different variations of Julianne Moore in the Sherman Oaks yoga moms. I encounter at the restaurant every time I was going to say, yeah, Julianne, <laughs> yeah, our, our protagonist here played by Julianne Moore is definitely the clientele at your work. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But anyway, this film is about her continuing to fall ill. Uh, You know, the illness that we've seen so many films, you know, films like uh, the ones by Antonioni, uh, something like Red Desert was a it was a comparison point for Haynes and the cinematographer uh, when they were kind of like uh, strategizing the style of this movie. And I think Red Desert is definitely an applicable um, comparison here, just like most Antonioni movies, where it's just like, yeah, the bourgeoisie lifestyle and society itself is making you sick in the head. Also, I mean, the the kind of like focus on like architecture influencing you know kind of aspects of people's lives. I mm-hmm. think like um, before we even get like you know you get the cold, passionless sex to start it out, but oh, then, yeah. then you get then you have like shots of kind of like Julianne Moore, you know kind of uh, letting these, you know, couch guys in who, you know, because she's getting a new couch because she loves to buy new things. Um, but it's like, it's it's very like, you know, very distant shots is like we, we see kind of just how massive her house is and all the different rooms are. Yeah. She kind of like walks around in frame and there's a lot of great shots of like, um, kind of like two rooms being in focus at the same time and seeing like two different things happen in different rooms, you know, just showing you know how big these people's houses are and how much space they take up and you know how uh uh, i don't know just you you can infer a lot from that i mean much like an antonioni film i just feel like or i was taken aback by like there's certainly like an element of like critique that happens with like their bourgeois lifestyle here but i was surprised by how much like how bad you ultimately feel for like julianne Moore because like she's part of the problem yes but like she just feels like I don't know, like a lot of the female protagonists of Antonioni movies where they've just sort of wound up in this position. Mm-hmm. They've spent like a whole life 
not really like questioning things and getting to like a point of like certain success. And now that they're there, it's just like, oh, everything around me is hollow. Yeah. And there's like a sympathy to her character, even though she's like, quote unquote, part of the problem. It's like at least she can kind of acknowledge, even if it's through, you know, maybe this backwards way through, mm-hmm. you know chemicals are destroying me or something like that that there is something kind of you know poisonous about this lifestyle everyone else is kind of just happy enough to kind of go through the motions at least she's uh repulsed by it and there's also a you know to keep with the antonioni comparisons there's also a generic difference here where that is in the art house realm and while Mm -hmm. this does have very much like art house qualities with its incredibly measured compositions and kind of slower pacing uh it's also a kind of slow brooding psychological horror movie and i think that is the aspect i didn't really uh know about or expect going in from the other haynes dramas that i've seen this one has suspense that builds even from the very beginning man when when she is driving behind that truck early on and it just sends her into a coughing fit and then she like pulls off into a parking garage and just the way that haynes cuts between you know uh, her point of view and her actually coughing you know the shots of her coughing and uh the the claustrophobia that builds and is kind of released by that shot of her opening the door at, at the empty end of a parking structure uh and just like that composition is so gorgeous but it's also just such a kind of a a, a brief a, a breath outward after the incredible like claustrophobia and inability to breathe that that whole little sequence builds up. No. And like something like this, it's like, you know, just on paper, it might not even have those qualities, but it's really just the tone. Mm -hmm. It's very like, stranglehold kind of like one note. And I say that as like a compliment type tone. That's just like really like, uh, has like a momentum, like a horror movie does. And it never does quite have like that scary release of any, like, I don't know, any horror thing. The monster isn't going to come and get you. Yeah. The closest you get is that guy walking around kind of staggered, you know, in the Mm -hmm. beanie. Like, is that guy up to something? But (laughs) no, no, it's just more of a, just kind of like, you know, I guess, you know, it, it helps to that point. Hines is trying to make that, you know, mm-hmm. this uh, critiquing capitalism, all this stuff that, you know, this lifestyle is what's scary. Not, you know, not like, a, I don't know. It's not like it's, you know, once she kind of moves to, you know, this kind of retreat to, um, you know, cure her ills, it kind of it maybe does some light hinting that this place is maybe shady, but it's like mm-hmm. it doesn't quite take that angle that it's like. You know what I mean? That- yeah, it's like clearly cultish, but also the guy running it is kind of winking about that too. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like early on, he tells everyone to close their eyes and hand over their wallets. He's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just playing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but also there's that incredibly menacing shot of the mansion he lives yeah. uphill from the retreat where, you know, it's when her husband comes and visits her and it's like so depressing when her husband comes to visit that retreat that she's been at for like six weeks trying to get better and it's just clearly nothing is happening and at one point he just like kicks a rock hard as hell uh he's just like clearly frustrated from the very beginning he like throws his watch across the room because you know clearly he just wanted to have sex uh and she just still has a headache and that transforms into not just him being able to get not get laid by his wife but just have a wife living at home even no, it is funny how Haynes kind of like ethers heterosexuality in yeah. this movie with kind of just like this very like 
I mean, like just very like lame husband. You know what I mean? It's not. He. I mean, yeah, him like freaking about about not getting pussy that night. That's like not a good look. But he doesn't do anything like egregiously awful. It's just like all the kind of like small kind of uh, undercuts. Well, you I mean, know. it's just like yeah. they're in two separate worlds. Exactly. That's that's it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just the non communication to do each other. Like I, I love when. Um, you know, in the beginning of the movie, there's a lot of scenes where Julianne Moore is just like walking around her big house at like 4 a.m. And then there's that, you know, when she kind of gets caught by the security guard and, you know, in the The private patrol, yeah. Who, you know, can't even be in my own front yard. But, uh, (laughs) and then, you know, she's like, what are you, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I couldn't, you know, he's like, (laughs) uh, just kind of like goes, goes whatever, whatever. All right, just get back inside. <laughs> and as anxious and like greatly anxious of a performance that Moore gives, yeah, I think Xander Berkeley as her husband here mm-hmm. gives such a good understated kind of just like somewhat pathetic, as you said, Malcolm Haynes attacking heterosexuality, <laughs> uh, like understating and just like a, or understatedly kind of apathetic to her struggle, but knowing that he needs to be quote unquote be there for her doing j- just enough yeah to, to it's not classic play. like a dude just doing the bare minimum to like yeah i'm fucking there for you i'm present like yeah. look at this like doing just enough to not be like you know everyone's like what the f-, you know not be a, a, a totally shitty guy but. <laughs> yeah and uh, also in the household is uh, her stepson you know that guy's son from a previous marriage who we see give a speech about gang violence that takes a very racist turn towards the end of it and it's just like a report for school i guess there are more and more gangs in the los angeles basin plus many more stabbings and shootings by ak-47s uzis and mac 10s killing numerous of innocent people la was the gang capital of america rapes riots shooting innocent people slashing throats arms and legs being dissected were all common sights in the black ghettos of la Today, black and Chicano gangs are coming into the valleys and mostly white areas more and more. That's why gangs in L.A. are a big American issue. Roy White. Good job, Roar. Why does it have to be so gory? It's very funny because that's like the only time you see his like face clearly too. It's like, yeah, he's just like running around in like a you know a dark corner of the frame in this movie most of the time. Yeah, when he uh, when the husband visits at one point, you're like, oh, his kid came with him, and his kid's just like forty feet away, just you messing know, with the, the yeah, sick people, kicking dirt, <laughs> messing with the sickos, <laughs> and just like clearly doesn't want to be around Julianne Moore at all. Like yeah. it's a classic, you know, hate my stepmom scenario. Um, so I, I also love the hook that draws her into this retreat, uh, the start of the video, like the little video conference that she goes to, not video conference, but like a little meeting that plays a video luring them to a t- retreat that says, are you allergic to the 20th century? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is great. And, uh, you know, do you smell fumes? And so all of that is what lures her into this. And it's this paranoia that she gets about being allergic to all of the chemicals and fumes in the air. And, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Like, that's also a kind of valid thing. It's just obviously the movie pairs it with her paranoia uh, to make it into such a worse issue than it actually is. But it's like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have bad physical reactions to just like the air quality. <laughs> Have either of you seen uh, Herzog's uh, Lo and Behold, The Reveries of the Connected World? I have not. It's uh, his documentary about like 
digital spaces and digital stuff in general. And one segment of it, he interviews like this, like cult, like group of people, not like really a cult, but like a group of people who are like worried that like the electronic like waves are like fucking up Mm -hmm. their mind. And it's like, has a similar vibe to this where it's just like, these people definitely feel like a real pain and are like irritated by things, whether or not it's like entirely in their head. And I think that safe gets into that. Like, I think that's one of the most horrifying aspects of the movie. And I think like obviously draws out a lot of the like AIDS parallels is just like experiencing this like new disease or new form of like ailment that like everyone around you is like questioning your feelings on it. Or like there's this doubt that like the pain you're going through is like imaginary or not valid or just like you don't know about it. And then just like the fact that they go to this community and it makes it worse. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, not I don't say there's like a specific cause and effect relationship Mm -hmm. there, but like the one like sanctuary you have where like people are supposed to like understand and vibe with this is like just as alienating as the regular world. True. Well, it's, you know, I think it's very interesting how Haynes kind of handles the whole like community cult retreat aspect of like the last half of the movie, just about half of the movie where it's like, it, it does have that, you know, and it does show like some uneasy vibes from like the leader. And it's like, and also just like, you know, you think it's like a specific thing for like treating people with like the specific sickness that Moore has with fumes. And then as the movie goes along, it's like there's some people there who are just like big drug addicts and stuff like that. You know, it seems less and less specific and to the point where it's like one of the final scenes, they're all just kind of like when they celebrate her birthday and they're all like mm-hmm. kind of square dancing. And it's like. It is like kind of like, are these people just kind of retreating like, you know, is society quote unquote making them sick and like they want like kind of this communal experience. It's it's almost hinting at that. But then it's also it's like the only way you're going to get better is if you isolate in like this igloo porcelain yeah. thing. This so upside it, down toilet. True. <laughs> and it's also like in terms of like, like I think it does strike that tone where it's sympathetic, but it also kind of gets at kind of like this very upper middle class organic culture almost mm-hmm. where it's like you know what i mean like i'm checking all my foods make sh- making sure nothing's in it you know i heard about like alkaline or something like that and yeah. uh i don't know just it kind of i don't know that's a very like that's something that i associate very specifically with the milieu that haynes is exploring here absolutely and i think peter friedman as like the leader of this new age retreat does a wonderful job of being like just believable enough you know like he just has enough of an unsettling vibe to where obviously these people are really susceptible and really vulnerable at this point so they're gonna you know want to believe everything he says and Haynes doesn't make him into too creepy of a villain or anything like that but it's like just riding the line enough to make it like super uh yeah, like uneasy. And as you said, Malcolm, there's people who are there for drug addiction. And there's also, uh, you know, he preaches against promiscuity, which is very <laughs> funny. And it's like, oh, this guy just wants to purify everybody. And he talks about like, uh, you know, inner growth in yourself, which is what will be reflected in the societal growth, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's very culty because it's like inner growth according to what this guy's ideal person is. And it's uh, it's very 
uneasy at the end there where they toast her happy birthday and <laughs> she just seems a little too comfortable with that guy that she's like partnered up with to cook not even in like a you know promiscuous way they're just gonna be friends i guess but yeah. uh you know just like having too good of a time and like to be in that situation and that is kind of the scariest part about it is her you know she went from the complacency of upper middle class lifestyle to the complacency of having her husband pay however many thousand dollars a week for her (laughs) to just stay there indefinitely and be hooked up to an oxygen tank and like you know think that any sort of outside fume will make her sick for a whole week but it's 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 and it's it's very like like the message gets muddled, you know, along the way too. Cause it is like, there's that kind of scene where he's kind of sitting out the, the leader or whatever is sitting outside and he kind of tells them, it's like, you're making yourself sick essentially. Yeah. Not, not saying it's like fumes, not saying it's anything. So it's like, it's just interesting how it's like, it's not really clear cut. And it's just obvious like this guy is probably a huckster as the husband, you know, notices his huge mansion yeah. when he comes to visit and like, yeah, it is just funny how like like the ending scenes are like, you know, her kind of getting cozy with that guy Chris with the striped shirt, you know, just them having fun making lasagna together and then like her giving that birth, you know, that, you know, she's they celebrate her birthday, the whole the whole camp, the whole cult camp. And, you know, she's asked to give a speech and she has, you know, it's almost like a review of what she's learned and it just turns into nonsense by the second half. Yeah. And it's like Oh yeah, there's like no coherent kind of idea going through like this cult. It's just kind of uh you know, these people are kind of being tricked, but it's it yeah, it's just very kind of weird and strange. And it ends with a very creepy scene of after that, her being back in her igloo, just looking in the mirror and the lighting on that, just like dark from behind. I think maybe just like one or two kind of like very strange light sources on that uh, to get this very strange effect on her looking in the mirror, saying that she loves herself. And it's just like, oh, that's really creepy. That's like (laughs) as much as it leans into psychological horror throughout the whole movie. Great movie. Four bullets for me. This Todd Haynes film knows how to make a movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it is like with other Haynes movies too. Is like I can't. This really is like particular. Although I haven't seen like Poison or stuff like that, so maybe that has a similar uh, tone or vibe to this. But it is like I don't know. Like when I think of Haynes, I don't necessarily think of you know this movie. But it is like it's probably my favorite movie by him too. And uh, yeah, four and a half bullets. It's a, it's a real. Uh, Real great movie. JT? What about you, JT? Um, yeah, I'm going four and a half bullets as well. Um, it's just absolutely beautiful. I love, like, I mean, I recently watched uh, I'm Not There. And in that, like, Haynes is playing around with, like, a lot of, like, different, like, textures on film. And I like a lot of the, like, shitty, grainy TV mm-hmm. we see here. I think that, like, creates a very fun look. But he's just operating on so many levels like i feel like hitting on a bunch of different things like uh u.s medical culture like upper middle class like bourgeois mentality just sort of how women are neglected in all this while like just making a pretty like fucking terrifying movie Mm -hmm. that's like cold and isolated but that just allows like moore's performance to be like I don't know come to the forefront and just be like so intense and moving and tragic and uh yeah this is a great movie 
We'll be right back on Extended Clip. My name is Carol White, and I live in Southern California. I saw your notice at the health club near my house and decided to write and tell you a little bit about myself. For some time now, I have not been feeling up to par and was hoping your organization might be of some help. I'm originally from Texas, although I've lived in the LA area most of my life. I had asthma as a child, but it never really got in the way of school or recreation. I've always thought of myself as someone with a pretty normal upbringing and as basically a healthy person, but for the past several months, that has all started to change. Suddenly, I find myself feeling sick. And we're back on extended clip. We're only doing three more of these segments. It's Malcolm in the middle. Mm-hmm. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's life been treating you? You know, life's been treating me very well ever since I've started getting into the stock market. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I kind of, you know, I've kind of been assessing the knowledge that I've gotten from that trade and putting it into this one, you know, looking at a kind of, and like, as you know, new directors kind of come up, I kind of see them as like a stocks. I think I've kind of mentioned this. Oh, absolutely. Before. We've talked about directors yeah, yeah. as stocks, uh, like Tom the tourism markets. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like I'm, <laughs> buying, I'm buying stock in Tom McCarthy and whose stock has risen. So stocks are like the analog version of crypto, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Stocks are the vinyl and uh, crypto is the MP3. Wow. For those looking for a guide into those. I'm sure all our listeners love that type of shit. But, um, <laughs> um, and whose stock has risen higher this year than Hamaguchi, man? Oh and, man, uh, I, 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 you know, I haven't, I didn't really watch a movie this week, and I think I, I don't know if you're going to talk about Drive My Car. No, okay, then I won't either. It's good, but I did watch this uh, kind of this short movie he had in 2016 called uh, Heaven Is Still Far Away, and uh, it does, you know, if you've seen Wheel of Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. I've been calling it Wheel of Fantasy and Fortune in my head. You know, I'm kind of confusing the two. But uh, this is really good, too. And it kind of just feels like it could fit, um, you know, as like one of the segments in that. And, you know, what we have is kind of a a documentarian uh, making a movie about her dead sister. And she kind of finds this one uh, classmate her sister had who claimed... That, you know, she loved another classmate, you know, after she committed suicide, you know, claiming that he released a fake lesbian love note. And uh, the the first half of the movie is kind of just seeing this guy at his job. He uh, pixelates pornography. So, you know, he's a big, big porn head, loves jerking it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, he's kind of, you know, lives a kind of a degenerate lifestyle, so to speak. And then he kind of sits down for this interview with this documentarian and they both kind of confront each other and he claims that he's possessed by the spirit of, you know, the filmmaker's sister. And, you know, the sister essentially is like, no, you know, I actually did write, I possessed him to write that love note. But it's like, it's kind of left unclear whether he's like messing with her or not. But I don't know, really touching and like kind of, uh, I don't know. I feel like he does this in both Wheel of Fantasy and Fortune, or Wheel of a Fortune and Fantasy. See, I did it again. And uh, drive uh, my car, kind of using like the long take uh, in a scene to kind of uh, build like kind of like 
an emotional rhythm and uh he really uses it great in like the second half of this movie to kind of have a a crushing result so you know i i'm glad i I bought in stock with this guy hamaguchi stock skyrocketing you gotta buy 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 (laughs) Uh, i i've been on the sony lot recently where they shoot wheel of fortune and every fucking time i look at any (laughs) wheel of fortune signage i'm just like in fantasy in fantasy fantasy." you gotta make those shirt the stocks are so high right now malcolm Come on, his next film might be a flop. You got to get it in now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the real smart ones got in with Happy Hour, and we credit yeah. those guys. They're pioneers. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're here now, so let's make some money. And by the way, I'm not going to talk about it as my turn, but I did just see Drive My Car like a couple hours ago. Fucking great film. Great film. Uh, JT, what about you? Um, Well, 2020, we saw the failing of the great American political project. But there are some uh, still big political projects that are succeeding. And I think we as a nation have made Spielberg great again. Uh, and uh, honestly, like I, I saw West Side Story or Woke Side Story. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I've the 2010s and on output from Spielberg is some of the stuff that I was like the least interested uh, from him. Like I'm coming around to being a Spielberg guy. Like when I was a kid, I really bucked the trend that I was yeah. like, this is it. Fuck you, man. Like I took the Godard, like Kubrick <laughs> stance on like Schindler's list. Where I was like this is fucking bullshit. Did Kubrick not like Schindler's list? Um, I don't think so. Oh, maybe or not. Maybe not Kubrick. I'm fucking up. Some, some guys did not like Schindler's list. Yeah. Well, I can um, tell you the whole group of people who didn't like, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Right, keep going. Oh man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, the last, I was really interested or the last output era of Spielberg that I was interested in is like his like 2000 stuff. Like I saw a uh, war of the worlds recently and I think it's fascinating to see his like, middle class liberal like political stance like process 911 mm-hmm. in that movie and just sort of like release something that's like intensely horrifying and like probably the darkest uh that I've seen from him but west side story like definitely obviously the first one like is dealing with like political uh issues of like gang war race war kind of stuff but the way he updates that with like the lib politics that I would expect from Spielberg is pretty interesting because it's like tapping into things about like gentrification and just sort of like this looming dread and like fear that things are going like poorly and all like all the political stuff I think is neat, not necessarily things I agree with, but it's interesting to see how uh like what spielberg's politics in the present moment are Mm -hmm. but like more than anything else like the movie just like fucking moves from like one great like musical set piece to the next and it's like some of the most beautiful camera work i've seen in a spielberg movie wow just uh he gets to be like intensely uh expressionistic with some like dance sequences like when uh, the couple meets like under the bleachers for the first time, that like might be like my favorite like little number in the whole fucking movie because it's just like absolutely gorgeous. But uh, yeah, no, check it out. 
I uh, cried a lot in the theater. Wow. So bring some tissues. The little if you're baby also a himself. pussy baby bitch <laughs> like me. Uh, yeah, I unrelated. Well, not unrelated. <laughs> literally as related as it gets. I watched the original West Side Story last oh, wow. night. Okay. And uh, yeah, really good movie. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about for my segment. I think that's why I meant to say, you know, not. My this segment isn't a segment movie. This it's isn't just a my segment out. movie. It's just another shout out. Look, I'm shouting out all kinds of movies in this segment. Um, <laughs> yeah, West Side Story. I mean, like, I I guess I had heard some of those songs growing up in a somewhat musical theater household. And, of course, Officer Krupke, we all know from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Is that your name? Yeah. Krupke? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, Matt Krupke. You're Officer Krupke. I am. Familiar with West Side Story? No, sir. What? There's a character in West Side Story named Officer Krupke. Okay. You're Officer Krupke. You never heard the song? No, sir. Oh, Officer Krupke, what are we to do? Gee, Officer Krupke, Krup you. You never heard that? No. No? No. By the way, they wanted to say fuck you, but in the 50s on Broadway, Sondheim, he couldn't write fuck you. So Krup you is a substitute for fuck you. But yeah, that that's just like what an incredible cinemascope technicolor spectacle that one is. And it got me excited to watch the Spielberg one. And I hope we can continue to make Spielberg great again. <laughs> I, I see like the posters for West Side Story like around town and it's like this very Americana mm-hmm. approach of like you'll see the, you know, couple dancing and then it'll have like the American flag in the corner like yeah. out of focus. So it is like feel like he's you know at least from the advertisement it looked he's kind of leaning into that but i guess woke side story i'm still excited nonetheless i'm still yeah. gonna, i'm still <laughs> no, gonna the, check it out the, as people who have quoted and supported armand white on this podcast his review of it is one of the most insanely stupid things of all time i didn't like, i didn't read it what, yeah, what's it, a, that's what's what a nice woke side quote. story came from yeah and it's just like <laughs> it's basically it's funny because i saw uh and i don't want to be like a politics guy on this podcast We're let's do it that. let's do but it like uh, <laughs> i saw like uh what's his name maddie glacius was like Ooh, uh whoa they made west side story into a race class narrative i'm here for it but it's like obviously that was the original production as well uh that whoa, is that is also that? armin's review except he's not here for it you know <laughs> <laughs> it's it's equally fucking stupid people uh anyway not equally stupid people equally stupid takes yeah, there yeah, I, was, I was about eddie i was about to raise my finger no because yeah, armin has some of the most essential writing on spielberg uh in the period that he likes spielberg true (laughs) you know his ai review is like canonical for me uh but anyway i watched some movies this week i watched a real dark run of movies this week after work (laughs) between our double feature and like before the day before that i watched repulsion by roman polanski and it's like that three-peat of like coming (laughs) home from a long hard day of work (laughs) repulsion safe shot corridor it's like made me feel a little crazy myself this guy actually did this (laughs) (laughs) no but repulsion is just like I don't know, the, I guess, 60s kind of art house influence uh, meeting the sheer, like, terror and psychological horror of the movie is so incredible. Much like how we talked about Safe being, you know, art house uh, psychological horror. But this one is just like, you know, Adam Naiman's review says that it's as foundational a modern Western horror movie as exists. And yeah, it's 1965 and it's like, 
horror movies as we know them are still kind of taking shape. Uh, and this is a British one, but speaking from like American horror movies, this is kind of in between the studio monster movies and like the, you know, quality of cinema horror movies yeah. we'd get from New Hollywood onward. I mean, really his next film, Rosemary's Baby, would really cement that. But there, there's this like kind of slap shot quality. I don't think slap shot's the right word, but <laughs> slap together. Uh, slap dick. Yeah, sure. Uh, quality of repulsion that it feels like it could uh, the film and like the apartment set and the film itself could kind of just all crumble at any given moment, you know, yeah. and it almost looks like it, it has like the visual style lends itself to looking like it has a lower budget than it actually does and then it's just like oh there's stuff that gets pulled off in this movie where it's like oh this is like a real deal production but i think it's such skilled direction by polanski to really just make it feel like the seams are always about to burst on every visual level as well as the performances you know Catherine deneuve in this is just like i don't know the the language barrier of a french person speaking english really adds to her uneasiness throughout the whole film and yeah it's just like one of the most unsettling 105 minutes you can possibly conjure in cinema yeah and it is funny like that is a good point um name and makes how like influential it is because it is like like between like the 50s monster movies and then like you kind of get back into the 60s you get like night of the living dead you know yeah. rosemary's baby as but it's like in between that's like what like what's popular like dungeon movies or yeah, whatever exactly like yeah christopher lee like wearing a yeah very, those like, hammer horror movies yeah. are going off i guess but like that's not really gonna influence what would come from american horror you know like everyone wearing velvet in a castle <laughs> like that's you know i you yeah know, this is down and dirty in yeah, comparison yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. you know and love to those movies but it is just a very different feel than what, what's to come yeah uh, we'll be right back on Extended Clip. My name is Johnny Barrett. I'm a reporter on the Daily Globe. This is my story, as far as it went. back on extended clip shock corridor by samuel fuller uh this is a crazy fucking movie uh it's a movie about mental health you know True. this is this is the mental health <laughs> podcast and we're here to you know be supportive and talk about shock corridor and how we relate to it yeah let's start a, before we get into the movie let's get this meditation session going yeah, the, yeah. this review of shock corridor is brought to you by betterhealth.net <laughs> yeah. uh, if you yeah, if you want if you have suicidal urges please text someone Therapy is not for crazy people. It's just a way to check up on yourself. So use promo code extended clip to get $800 off of your $1,600 therapy bill. You don't have to be crazy like the people in these movies to <laughs> yeah. do therapy. Uh, but Shock Corridor, uh, Peter Breck plays Johnny Barrett. 
a journalist who is just dead set on solving a mystery, uh, a murder mystery, and winning a Pulitzer Prize by doing so. And it's established very early on that his rep as a journalist is so much of higher value to him than solving the murder. But this murder takes place in an insane asylum. So he decides to have himself committed uh, in a very backdoor kind of way by like having his stripper girlfriend pretend to be his sister and have him uh, pretend to want to do incest to her. It's a foolproof plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. This was, this was, you know, back when journalists had integrity. Yeah, you know, exactly. Un- unlike now, you know what I mean? Not like a, you know, Matt or whatever, whoever you, you, uh, Matt Iglesias. Oh yeah. yeah. Matt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes. Yeah, so, so Fuller has that journalistic background and like you True. watch movies like Park Row and it's like, <laughs> this is so funny how he, like how the times have changed, how a decade has made him so much more jaded about journalists. True. It's pretty hilarious. I, I, I do think it is funny in Park Row that there are like fist fights over journalism essentially. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now it's like, you know, people are getting up to their tabloid tactics. They're exactly. getting in, you know, it's yellow journalism. Yellow journalism, <laughs> you know, in a, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it's an insane movie about insane people. <laughs> uh, and he uh, gets himself into this insane asylum and he slowly goes a little crazy along the way. But uh, what he's trying to do there is, of course, interview the inmates there to try and get to the bottom of this murder mystery. And, of course, as I said, he goes a little crazy in the process. And, uh, yeah, the the plot is, like, pretty telegraphed. You could kind of tell where it's going to go. It's like, oh, he's going to go crazy and not be able to solve the mystery or solve the mystery and not be able to report on it. And uh, it's just such an affecting film there's like it's made up of pretty long scenes you know it's like his three key witnesses uh each get a very long one-on-one scene with the lead character and uh one of them is like a guy who was i believe in both world war ii in japan and in the korean war and uh he he also has these like flashbacks that are in color which are like stunning uh but yeah, he there's him, there's a guy who like uh or so that guy thinks he's like in the civil war uh, also at the time and then there's a guy who much like the classic Chappelle show sketch mm-hmm. is a black man who thinks he's part of the KKK uh because he was like test he was like a guinea pig. He was like the first black man to attend a southern white university. <laughs> And then the other one is a guy who had worked on both the H-bomb and the A-bomb and then during some nuclear testing went crazy himself. So clearly Sam Fuller is pointing the finger at American society and uh, what we've been up to over the last couple decades that makes people crazy. And uh, yeah, it's incredibly effective in that manner. Well, I mean, it's like I love like all the Sam Fuller movies I've seen like have like such killer like politics. And I mean, Mm -hmm. not like that ever is like something that makes or breaks a movie for me. But But it informs like like, the ethos of the movie. Exactly. And like Fuller is like doing these like excellent like political stories where he gets like really entrenched into like fucked up like American issues that are really like huge to tackle. And he does it with such like a sleazy like handle to it that you can like easily like overlook any aspect of it, but it's just all there. And Mm -hmm. like, 
so cutting, especially like you mentioned, Eddie, the moments that occur that are like documentary footage in color. They just like kind of like snap you out of the fact that it's like a fiction film yeah. and like remind you that like these uh, real life issues and stresses like do make people like just fucking lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I, like I'd say like uh, what's the naked kiss? That's another movie by him, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like uh I feel like he he has this balance of being like like very incisive, you know, into like you know the ills of American society and like you know what we're doing wrong, but also being you know equal parts kind of distasteful himself because it is mm-hmm. you know as as rich as the characters that we are that we witness too. This is also you know what I mean. Let's it's a pulpy B movie. It's a yeah, pulpy B yeah. movie where it's like we're in a mental ward. Let's hang with some crazy dudes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's and like yeah, and let's have the, fun with that. Yeah, too. you get the Constance uh, Towers like her dancing at the beginning. Ooh. You get you get the sex in there too. Yeah, yeah, and like I I think I mean I think that balance in his tone is you know something I particularly like very enjoy and something that's very unique to him too yeah uh, as you mentioned JT Constance Towers we see you know it's his stripper girlfriend Kathy and we see her performance in the very beginning you know it played all in like one long take and there's a lot of long takes in this as well as a lot of other Sam Fuller movies that are like a combination of artistic choice and out of budgetary necessity it <laughs> seems like uh, but this one is like eerie like i don't know there there's like a minute of this performance where it's in a very wide still shot before it pulls or pushes back in toward her uh in into like a medium but it is just like as erotic as it's supposed to be like uh for the character the reality of watching the film is very unsettling and you realize like she's doing this to try and support her journalist boyfriend or husband i don't know yeah uh but like it's it's very uncomfortable, uh, yeah. but then she appears later in her stripper outfit as a hallucination when uh, Johnny first gets into the the uh, mental institution when he's sleeping and she appears like an angel slash devil on his shoulder. And yeah, I don't know that like double exposure work is so sick. And the way that she just like leans on his shoulder and like leans up against his ear at one point, it's some of the most incredible imagery in the film. I love that like effect. And also like that combined with the narration, I feel like really gets you in the character's head in a way that like is a big like it's a big structural move to take. Mm -hmm. And it's like a big swing. But I think it works out really well because like you get like the sense of anxieties that this character Johnny has like because clearly like he's uncomfortable with his girlfriend being like a stripper Mm -hmm. like in the Mm -hmm. fantasy like sequences of her. Uh, projected onto his face she's like talking about like oh you're like co-workers like seeing me or like thinking about like fucking me kind of a stuff and then in the narration where he's like talking about like solving the case you can clearly tell it's incredibly self-serving for mm-hmm. his journalistic career true and like kind of the mental game he's playing of like pretending to be crazy and not laying down his guard and you know eventually that kind of mesh of course as you could see you know he eventually goes crazy and that game is played a little bit less but when he's like constantly talking to doctors and kind of like um you know kind of predicting like what they're going to say next it kind of he kind of operates with like kind of like that medical skepticism you know not that he doesn't think that these people aren't crazy but it's just like he's just very kind of you know just a very cynical look at the whole affair yeah and uh and uh, yeah, and just I mean, also the fact um, 
of like kind of the incest kind of like being you know the source of his like fake craziness and like how that's revisited is also another kind of like I don't know, just fuller adding on a little extra layer of sleaze that's kind of, you know, enjoyable. Uh, There's also, to make one more note on the voiceover that you brought up, JT, uh, I I like how kind of low in the mix it is, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, you see a lot of Hollywood movies from this era or going back to the 40s where the voiceover is very prominent, but this one, it's like, it feels like he's standing 10 feet away from the microphone or something. And I think that really translates to the idea of him slowly losing his grip on his consciousness uh, from the very beginning of the movie of him just pretending to be insane. Look at the way his eyes lit up. He's got me talking. He's a happy little rascal. Maybe younger when I was 10. Now, if you just ask me what made me feel different, this story will write itself. What made you feel differently toward her? Um, but also there's a great scene of, I mean, it's teased early on when one of the uh, guards is like, uh, uh, you know, they had to move me from the female side because yes. uh, the all the nymphos got to me. Uh, 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 and, you know, that's just a funny <laughs> joke or whatever. But then he just walks into a room full of nymphos who attack him. And it's not a joke then. It's not a joke. Uh, I love how, like, uh, the nymphos are, like, eating him like a zombie or yeah. something like that. And it is, it's also funny. It's just like, were we just locking up? the promiscuous you know yeah. what I mean? it's like i see how she's operating out here lock her up and i love the rooms that they have there too they're like sort of allowed to like etch on the walls yeah. and stuff like it's so fucking it's funny like, damn dude i worked in the nympho ward i got yeah. so much pussy dude. yeah the the scrawlings on the wall of the nymphos are very funny if you look at those backgrounds it's what just a woman writes like i love harry <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, then it finally, after like 40 minutes or so of just like getting acclimated, and I, I think that's a good thing for its pacing is it takes that long for him to finally get one witness to talk to him because the viewer gets so acclimated to the situation as well. Uh, he finally gets that civil war guy to like open up about his actual past and his, his time in World War II and Korea. And it's like, such a cynical look at him as a journalist where after he tells this incredible like sob story he's just like well who killed him who killed him, you tell me who killed him. and it just triggers the guy back into thinking he's in the civil war and uh yeah I, every time he does this tactic of like really breaking down people's defenses to get to the real them uh he just immediately turns the corner and you know his journalism brain turns on and it's so cynical it's also really funny like what that's saying about like psychiatric like practice mm-hmm. because like all of the treatments arguably seem to make all of the patients like worse. Oh yeah. But like uh, Johnny's able to reach them for like to get like 30 seconds of clarity for them to monologue about really what's at the core of their mental issues. And he's like, okay, enough with that fucking shit. Like, (laughs) come on, I'm here for a reason. And like, I I feel like, you know, I feel the devastation in these moments too, you know, kind of like, the push and pull of like, uh, you know, in these improving, improving insanely damaged mental health of like people kind of returning to quote unquote normalcy and then just kind of slipping back into their delusions. It, you know, it's, 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 it's more affecting than like it even really needs to be, but it's like, I guess that's why Fuller, you know, he's one of the greats. Yeah. I mean, when his girlfriend visits him and kisses him uh, and he like throws her off of himself and it's just like, 
there's so many layers to that. Like, is he just trying to look insane for the guards who are watching or is he starting to believe it himself? Because when she leaves, he just has this such a strange look on his face that Fuller, Fuller is so good at getting these performances out of people uh, where it's like, yeah, I don't know. There's like five different things he could be thinking in that moment. And uh, yeah, it's just really great. So the the pattern continues of him breaking down people and getting the confessions, but then also the people at, People at the ward are like worsening their treatment for him. They give him electroshock therapy, and that is just like horrifying to watch. You know, it's that crazy, uh, quickly cut together montage, and you know, you get flashes of his girlfriend stripping as well as all the horrors he's seen in his life and stuff like that. And it kind of gets the memory out of him, and he like loses his ability to speak at one point. It's uh, really just Fuller just keeps pulling out one thing after another to just like give to this guy put a lot of bad shit on his plate if you will well yeah i mean i think the scene of like uh you know the triple k black guy nathan bedford forest general you going around taking credit for founding the kkk i'm the founder i'm the grand wizard what's our code word secrecy If Christ walked the streets of my hometown, he'd be horrified. You've never seen so many black people cluttering up our schools and buses and cafes and washrooms. Like kind of like that scene where he convinces all the other like white mental patients to like rush down like this black dude. It yeah. is, it's like it's it's insane. Like. I don't know. It is like, I, and that's kind of like the fuller distaste. Like, there's something a little bit distasteful mm. about that. But I think that you know, it adds to kind of like, you know, this uh, just just this very uh, you know depressing ward or whatever shock corridor. I mean, it's it's very what he does with like just that one location and like halls and bedrooms. It's a very like bare bones movie that's really just uh, propelled forward by like very compelling performances and just like kind of like uh, i don't know just concepts that are keep cycling throughout the movie yeah i mean fuller's takes on racism on the two things we've watched for this podcast are like insane the way he as you said malcolm uh like interrogates that guy like the the black kkk guy at first and then he snaps back into what he thinks is reality and incites a race riot just like sicking all the other white guys on the one other black patient and just like the mob mentality and the insanity literally of it and then white dog where it's just like a beast you know yeah. like that's what racism is to him you know and it's it's just yeah it's so like i don't know cynical and so good at getting his message across with the intensity of the fist fights that he portrays oh, in the yeah. film you know mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean the the fight sequence towards the you know the back end of this movie and you know the chase down sequence too i think i've had this this take in my back pocket i'll, I'll take it out again that like fuller was the best action director you yeah. know before you know the martial arts movies came along you know it's just like these in the fight sequences here yeah it is it is kind of like longer takes and you could really feel the the heft of these punches and like the i don't know the way the fights kind of like unfold feel you know more natural because of that 
Yeah, so he finds out this attendant named Wilkes is the one who killed the guy, and he can't quite, like, he, he's gone too crazy to, like, get that on the record for his paper, and the guy who runs the ward is like, no, you're crazy, whatever. So he just fights this guy, Wilkes, and it just, that fight goes through, like, every room of the set, pretty much, and it's just, like, a pretty long scene, and, you know, he's dragging him across a table at one point. It's just so intense. Yeah, it had been a while since I had watched it, so I had forgotten the exact ending, but there's like I mean, obviously you know he's he's gone fucking bonkers at that point and that like as you said earlier was like kind of telegraphed from the beginning. But you're not sure like I could see them not even giving credence to the fact that the guy was guilty just because yeah. it like the way that plays out and it's just like pure chaos and insanity there after he gets the guy to finally admit he did it and he's like battered and like a little bloodied he like stands like victorious but he just like looks fucking insane yeah i mean i love kind of like after the movie kind of is in its wind down kind of like the final scene of the movie where we've seen that you know he's gone too far you know you can't as the doctor says you can't put yourself in an insane asylum not expect not to go crazy Mm -hmm. and then like uh you know i guess it's implied that he released this article it's uh you know very reputable and like the i love the doctor you know just being like an insane mute is gonna win a pulitzer prize (laughs) what a shame (laughs) (laughs) now nowadays we're no It, I think it, we know where you go with that. <laughs> but I just love that I love that line delivery. It's just very yeah. funny. What a tragedy. An insane mute will win the Pulitzer Prize. Uh any final thoughts on this one before you wrap it up and give it a rating, JT? Um yeah, I'm gonna go five bullets on this. I think like a lot of my other favorite fullers, there's like a bare bones like simplicity to just sort of like a sleazy log line and he explores like every little dirty crevice Mm -hmm. of that in such a tight runtime and uh you get like perverse joy and excitement from like the pulp quality of it but um fuller is just like one of the best american filmmakers that has like a comprehensive political understanding of uh, the way America works and it's just fun to watch those two elements like play out together. No. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is like, you know, I feel like with like John Ford or whatever, like I feel like Ford just kind of will like politically represent kind of like the, um, like the conflict of being American where Mm -hmm. like Fuller is like, he's got that, the analysis down pat. He's got a great analysis of like how, American works and those are kind of like the two American filmmakers I think about when like I don't know assessing America but yeah this is one of Fuller's greatest movies I mean we didn't even mention the insane rain sequence oh my god where it it, like just the whole construction of that scene is great where he's kind of chilling out with the Pavarotti or whatever you know the big fat dude singer's name is and then you know he looks down the hallway everyone's doing their weird crazy guy thing you know banging their head against the wall or some shit like that then he looks back again and then it's empty and it's just you know it just starts raining and he just starts freaking out in like the hallway you know what i mean and just kind of like the choice of shots and stuff like that with fuller it just really sells something like that where it could have just easily been just kind of silly you know what i mean and that's a lot of this movie i would say so uh 
I think did I already give it a rating? Four and a half bullets. I'll give it again if I did already. But one yeah. more time. One more time. Four and a half bullets. Uh, ready? Ready? Uh, I give it four bullets. I think it's a really great movie. I think, dude. Speaking of that rain sequence, man, like the the shot of the upside down close up of him with like the lightning striking in the back as he's just freaking out, screaming is just one of my favorite images of the film for sure. And uh, yeah, I think Fuller's skill as a filmmaker is on full display here. His resourcefulness, his incisiveness and his critique. Um, Yeah. Great movie. Can't really say much else. Extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can email us for just two more weeks, baby. Really, just one more week. We're we're recording the last episode a week from tomorrow, so, so you get them in. Yeah, yeah, get them in while you can. Um, our first one this week comes from Valerie, and it says, "Hey, fellas, I'm back one final time to email in with questions. But first, I wanted to talk about my experience with this show and how much it's meant to me." I remember before the show began, Eddie told me the premise of it, and from the beginning, I started listening. It's been so fun to see the show grow into itself over time. The show both introduced me to a ton of fantastic movies I would not have seen otherwise, and made me think of movies in a way I never did before. I met a lot of people through listening to this, and to be very real for a moment, uh, from 2019 to spring 20, I had one of the worst depressive periods of my life, and having the show to look forward to every Friday was something I really needed. Thank you guys for that. Another thing I'm grateful for was getting to write in a bunch of emails. Before writing this, I searched my email archive to see how many times I emailed in, including this present email I emailed 19 times, 18 to the main feed and once on the Patreon in the episode that was the introduction of Grandma's Boy Studio. I tried to think of really original questions each time, a measure that became harder as quarantine led to the creation of the quote tweet prompt industrial complex. <laughs> I wanted to I also wanted emails to be funny, and any time you guys broke while Eddie read them were the ones that I was the happiest with. So with all of that said, my final three questions to the Extended Clip podcast. I recently went back to Cleveland's only rep theater, the Cinematheque, to see Six Cents Five Bullet Picture car wash directed by michael schultz on 35 but the initial night i went the picture was great but the speakers weren't working at all staff tried for half an hour but it didn't work so they gave us passes to watch it on another night uh has an experience like that of a planned movie night wrecked by theatrical technical difficulties ever happened to you guys yeah i got one that comes to mind i think there's been others but um you know, man of the moment, Mike Mills. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Mike, Mike Mills made it. Um, I've always that, thought he had a good rapper name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's you got the Mike Will, you got the Meek Mill. It's kind of a combination of yeah. both. But uh, I remember in my, I remember young, in my younger cinephilia, I started out with trailers before I got to movies. I remember I <laughs> got to work watch, up the basics first. Yeah, exactly. I used to watch a lot of trailers on YouTube and I saw the trailer for Beginners and it's about an old gay guy, I think is what I remember that movie being about. And uh, I really wanted to see it. And when I went to the theater... It's just like you. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> All right. That really threw me off my tracks. Um, to get back to the question... Uh, uh yeah and then when i went to the the nickelodeon in santa cruz california uh it was not it like they they were basically like our projector broke so i don't even maybe they i don't know i don't i think i was young enough to where i didn't pay for the ticket at the time i think my mom was taking me but i don't remember them being like 
you know, here's a free ticket. You know what I mean? Like, I think they just sent us on us on our way, you know? Um, so yeah. And then I remember checking out that movie later and I was like, this movie kind of sucks. So <laughs> maybe it was for the best. What about you guys? Um, during the dark night, the first time I was seeing it, I was like with my mom, like as a kid, and there was like a fire or something like in the theater, like bathroom. Uh-oh. Something happened where like the fire alarm like went off and we had to all like evacuate the theater. Um, and we just went back a different day. But it was like still during like the uh, like heist like set piece in the beginning Ooh. with the Joker. And it was like, oh, no, the, is the Joker here? And well, it was before all that. <laughs> yeah, stuff. I, I mean, but yeah, before all that stuff, <laughs> those tensions became yeah. very real. Actually, yeah, exactly. To kind of pivot off that. I remember seeing what is it? The last the third the Dark Knight uh, leaves the Dark Knight leaves. The Dark yeah. Knight says goodbye. And uh, and I went to I was in New York when I saw it. And I think it was like a day after the shooting. And then I think like people were there like you know people were being like defiant like we'll go to the theater and like we're applauding at like every set piece it was a very like new york after 9-11 moment <laughs> that I, uh, and that's my experience with the big apple was just everyone clapping throughout uh <laughs> the batman three after uh that tragic day in aurora colorado but uh I remember when I saw Big Daddy with my dad, uh, the print just like burned out or broke or something. Like it looks like uh, the end of uh, Two Lane Blacktop, you know, where like the film print like eats itself and is yeah. like burning up kind of. Uh, that That's like what it reminded me of when I watched Two Lane Blacktop was when I saw Big Daddy with my dad <laughs> and uh, the print stopped in the middle of it and we left and I didn't Damn. see the movie until it came out on tape or DVD. I don't know. But that's yeah. that. Uh, another one. Are there any movies you haven't revisited since you were much younger that you think you'll get out of, get more out of now as the years have passed? Yeah. Beginners? Beginners. <laughs> Might need to give beginners another shot. Uh, I mean, pretty much everything I watched when I was like middle school cinephile. Like <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of like early Godard movies that like. I want to hit up again and mm-hmm. just like now that I have a more trained eye, like be able to understand as opposed to just like probably being very confused. But uh, I don't know. I, I think a lot of stuff. I think it's good to you got to remember the classics. Oh, yeah. You got to check yourself. Mm-hmm. You could be you like s- stuff that you like. It's important to rewatch that. But you get the feeling you could have been wrong. Yeah. Search that. Yeah. Figure think- it out. I think that's a good instinct yeah i can't think of anything specific but i just remember in my like early cinephilia stage like i would kind of like half pay attention to criterion movies back when they were hulu exclusive mm. so kind of like the hulu criterion area era like i feel like i remember like half watching la ventura and you know rules of the game which i have revisited i get, maybe that's one for you eddie that you could revisit that was a fun that was a fun controversy for those who remembered that but uh what about you eddie um yeah i i would say the same like when i was first getting into movies and didn't really get some of the, the heavier ones that i was trying out like uh you know i i've poked my phone at fellini and kurosawa for being like overrated or whatever but i've really come around on kurosawa over the last year yeah uh so maybe i'll go back and watch eight and a half again from uh, fellini but also i think just like uh i remember not liking uh stray dog 
the Kurosawa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I'd like that more now. I think I remember kind of being like a little lower on high and low back in the day. But like, I, again, it's like, I think I'm wrong. I think I'm yeah. wrong in that instance. So I should probably give that another go. I've actually done quite a bit of that recently. Like Blade Runner is one that I didn't like when I watched like six or seven years ago, but I yeah. really liked uh, a couple weeks ago when I watched it. I'm kind of, I was kind of in that boat too. Maybe I should give it another go. Yeah. And then uh, make sure you watch the uh, final cut. The, the theat- mm. it, It's such an improvement from the theatrical. It's ridiculous. And uh, also the films of David Fincher. I remember not liking Fight Club or Seven. And then I rewatched both of those. I rewatched Seven like three times this year. And it's fucking great. Like, it's so fucking good. Uh, And Fight Club's really good, too. It's like, you know... I, I think there was a there was a period in my early cinephilia where I was a very writerly watcher. And so mm-hmm. if I could kind of get ahead of the script in any way, I thought the movie was dumb. Then it's like there's more to cinema than True. the value of the screenplay. You know? Also, yeah, like kind of pivoting off of like perception. Like, you know, like I remember when I was young, oh, Fight Club's like a bro movie. Oh, so yeah. maybe I shouldn't like maybe I shouldn't give it that like much it. credence. <laughs> maybe I should watch a female directed movie or some shit like that i should watch uh, jennifer's body yeah i should watch and tell people hey maybe i'll like jennifer's body more i've never seen it but hey i tell people don't you know it's actually good it's actually i i was the one who came up with that first yeah i know everyone's (laughs) favorite segment was said a lot during the course of the show or in quotes everyone's favorite segment uh but what were all three of yours personal favorite segment to do uh uh I don't know. I loved anything with Malcolm. Money Malcolm, <laughs> like Malcolm's multiplex minute. Oh, I, um, I just like, minute. I don't know. Malcolm's the, you're the breakout star of this. You're going to go on. You're going to, wow. you have, you have a bright future. Eddie and I are going to wither away <laughs> Malcolm into in the obscurity. Middle, yeah. Malcolm in the middle is going to be a weekly five minute podcast of you by yourself now. The spinoff. Uh, 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 I think I'm going to get into the live stream more. I'm going to get more into like Periscope, things nice. like that. You know? Oh, Periscope is still hot. Definitely. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, my I, favorite I like, segment's yeah. the main thing. Yeah. Just talking about the movies of the week. I like, yeah, I like it. It's all the same thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> if that makes any sense, it's all, it's all, it's talking. all the fucking podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, P.S. How I ended my first email to the show is how I'll end my last. I think Howard Stern is hot. Goodbye, sincerely, Valerie. Well, I guess he's all right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, our ne- thank you, Valerie, for all yeah, your emails you. yeah. over the years. Uh, our next one and last one of the week is from Travis. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce his last name. It's from Trav. That's how he signs it at the end. Okay. Uh, hey, guys. Love the pod. Enjoyed your discussion of Tarantino and Utah. That's how you, when you uh, do the acronym for Once Upon yeah. a Time in Hollywood uh, last week. And I, my ears <laughs> perked up when JT, I think it was JT, contrasted it to QT's much maligned, but in my opinion, misunderstood previous outing, Hateful Eight. I think that was Malcolm, actually. Uh, the point was being made about interiors and exteriors, and it was right because I think that's what's part of what makes H8 so fun. It's an exercise in restraint from a director who is known for anything but. The Agatha Christie locked in a room setup is sandbox is a sandbox QT had never played in before, and I think he uses it to such full effect uh, that the character and dialogue lead the way. I tend to like QT best when he's pursuing a single idea with focus and verve rather than the sprawling epics, which he doesn't always maintain his balance. Uh, I guess my only question is here: Have any of you had a chance to revisit Hateful Eight since its release? 
any words of encouragement for the runt of the Tarantino litter. And do each of you have a firm Tarantino ranking or even top three? Mine, w- I'm not going to read yours. Sorry. Yeah, he says, uh, good luck with post-pod life. Thanks for lots of good listening. Well, thank you, thank Trav. You. <laughs> <laughs> Back to our tradition of being hostile to the email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Fucking Trav. Uh, I, I, I see his Gmail avatar, this fucking guy. <laughs> uh, I, I saw hatefully a couple times while it was in theaters so i'll count that as revisiting it i guess uh i think it's really good it's it's like not one of his better movies but it's really good yeah i'll probably rewatch it sometime in my lifetime you know yeah i'll I'll fucking get around to it man there there was the mini series cut that came out that i'm interested in but i don't know if that's what i'm gonna watch like i would probably just watch the theatrical cut again actually i don't think i've seen the normal theatrical cut i've only seen the roadshow version True. There's so many, that multiple times. So many fucking cuts and shit. You gotta keep up with. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, top three Hollywood Jackie Brown uh, bastards. Death Proof, not far behind. Calculating in my brain right oh, now. Okay, JT. I think, uh, yeah. Hollywood uh, Jackie Brown, Death Proof. Yeah, probably. I go with JT's ranking. Okay. Uh, next week. JT has selected his final double feature. JT, what, what are they? <laughs> well, I mean, because this is my final double feature, I I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about finality. Um, with the podcast ending, it's like a part of me is dying. Yeah. Maybe a part of me that I hate. Maybe <laughs> a part of me that I also love. Um, so we're going to talk about what it's like to die. Um, we're watching All That Jazz, the 79 film by Bob Fosse, um, and then we're pairing that with Call Ho Naho, the 2003 film uh, by Nikhil Ad- Advani. I, I probably butchered that, but I don't know. Both of these, like, all, I feel like I wanted to have two, like a final pick that I feel like summed up like things I stood for on this podcast. Yeah. What were what were my principles? What did I bring to the table? What did I what what was my place here? And I think a lot of it was being like a horny little pervert, and uh, that's in, in all that jazz. And then uh, a homoerotic love of the male form, <laughs> and that's uh, that's why I'm bringing another Shower Khan classic to the table which could also be considered being a horny little pervert i mean yes yeah. okay i guess it's just being a horny little pervert all right well i'm glad we're done with that <laughs> uh, no i'm looking forward to it and uh we'll see you next week for the penultimate double feature episode yeah goodbye <laughs>